Well, brethren, it's a great joy for me to be with you. Uh, on this occasion, my first time to be um, in uh, a Founders National Conference reminds me of probably my first or second visit to the, the U.S. So it's uh, a pretty long time ago. I suspect it's uh, a quarter of a century ago when I first spoke at this conference. So it's, it's good to be back and this time to deal with uh, Ephesians and chapter 4. So if you could please turn with me there. Ephesians and chapter 4. In many ways, nothing changes in this world. The world is still a place of rebellion. The world is still a place of sin. The world is still a place that is in desperate need of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, yet, 25 years later, uh, there are issues that engulf the world today that the first time I was here would probably never have entered the minds of uh, the individuals that were there, even those who called themselves prophets. Uh, one of them being uh, the, the way in which the COVID situation has basically arrested the popular mind uh, today. I was joking back home in Zambia uh, just before I got on the plane to, to come here, that one of the popular fads on the African continent, it might be the same in the US, I'm not too sure, is that of making declarations about years that are coming ahead. And so as a year is coming to the end, you would have prophets announcing that uh, you know 2020 is going to be the year of final victory or of a breakthrough or success and so on. Hardly anyone said it was going to be the year of COVID-19, you see. <laughs> and yet it's been so much a topic and the fruit of that topic that a lot of us have had to put on our thinking caps, get back to the scriptures, ensure that the foundation of Christ and his word remains that which keeps the church going in stability in the midst of our turbulent times. Well, that's really something of the application of what I want to deal with, but I want to deal with primarily the subject of uh, the need to equip the saints in the truth so that as we are going through whatever situation we might be going through, we will still be individuals who are glorifying God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, until he returns. We must never forget the fact that the church is primarily there because of Genesis chapter 3. Prior to the fall, uh, God through Adam and Eve was bringing out something of uh, that stewardship of the whole of creation to praise him in all things. It didn't matter what Adam and Eve were doing with their hands in what we call the cultural mandate. It was all there that he who created all things might indeed be glorified. Well, we know what happened in the book of Genesis and chapter 3. The evil one through the serpent deceived Eve, who then went on to give the forbidden fruit to her husband, Adam. Rebellion came into the world. Corruption came into human nature. Death was pronounced upon the whole of the human race, indeed upon the whole of creation. And from there, 
everything went plunged into utter darkness. Except this, God was still to have the last word. He had already in the eternal council in the Godhead provided for that redemption through Jesus Christ. We have all the shadows in the Old Testament fully realized in the person and work of Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his session at the right hand of the Father. It is through the church that Jesus Christ seeks to realize all this across the ages. And what a glorious privilege we have, brothers and sisters, that we should be the means by which Jesus Christ's lordship is being reclaimed, as it were, in the midst of a fallen world through what we consider the Great Commission. There's a statement from the, the Reformation that says, after darkness, light. After darkness, light. In other words, the truth conquers human hearts. And out of this conquering of human hearts, God gathers the elect into these colonies of faith that we call the church. And through these churches, the truth is spread, changing communities, bringing men and women to worship God with all that they have. How does this happen in reality? It is as elders equip the saints to carry on the work of ministry. Which is what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 down to verse 16 is all about. Let me quickly read it and then introduce the context, then we plunge into the passage itself. And the Bible says there, beginning in verse 11, which in a sense is in the midst of so many other words of the Apostle Paul, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church in Ephesus was, was precious to the Apostle Paul. And it played a significant role in the growth of the Christian faith in the known world at that time. Paul would not really be considered as the individual who was used by God to, to bring into birth 
this particular church. I think he, he tried to do so, but some of you will be aware about those passages where he tried to turn to the left or to the right, and, and somehow the Spirit would not allow him until he found himself on the eve of entry into Europe when he saw that vision concerning the man crying out from Macedonia saying, come over to help us. And from there, he went on into Athens, planting different churches, and it was really on his way back that he ended up passing through uh, Ephesus, initially, basically passing through. But finally, he had opportunity to find a few disciples there, and by that time, we are in chapter 18, going into 19 of the book of Acts, and spend some time helping those few believers who were there to recognize that they were really entering into a new dispensation under the spirit of the living God under the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have something of Paul's early ministry in that particular city. Well, by the time we come into chapter 20, it is evident that the Apostle Paul wanted, as he left Asia, to, to make sure that he, 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 he set his heart at rest with respect to the, the leadership of the church in Ephesus. And so we have that farewell message of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. Later on, we find that uh, the Apostle Paul left Timothy in, in Ephesus in order to straighten out a lot of issues. I think we heard that from the sermon by uh, Dr. Askell a little earlier today. So you can't miss the fact that this was a church that meant a lot to the Apostle Paul. Well, it was a church that meant a lot to even the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we get into the book of Revelation, you will notice that it is one of the very first churches that our Lord seeks to address with respect to the... Um, their first love that had been lost and the need to recover that. So even with respect to the entire corpus of New Testament scriptures, this was an all-important church. In the passage before us, we have, first of all, the Apostle Paul having given a lot of doctrinal instruction with respect to what it really means to be individuals who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ in terms of the, the length and breadth, the height and depth of the love of God as it is revealed in the gospel. Paul refers to it as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Having rejoiced in that, he pauses for a moment to begin to apply that within the, the structure of the New Testament church as it was there in Ephesus. And that's where we are finding ourselves as we enter into chapter 4. And in dealing with this structure, the Apostle Paul begins with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided leadership by his own giftedness to his people, and especially through preaching gifts that he has given to his church. In providing that, he is laying a strong foundation upon which the church is to build its ministry into the world as salt and light. That's where we really began in our Bible reading. He mentions there the gifts that he gave. He calls it the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These God had given in order that the churches might be birthed, the churches may be given New Testament revelation by which churches would be taught concerning the ways of God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all the way from apostles right down to what is rightly called the shepherd teachers. In other words, those who are engaged in preaching the word of God as part of the eldership within the context of the local church. All these have been given by an actual initiative of God and by an act of God through his son and through his spirit. Beginning then with the apostles and prophets, we have the revelation itself of the New Testament by which the foundation is laid on which the rest of us who are preachers in the New Testament simply build. We notice that in chapter 2 of uh, the book of Ephesians, where earlier he had said in verse 20, chapter 2 and verse 20, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And again, later on in chapter 3, he basically opens up the same point in verse 5. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Uh, let me begin with verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, the revealed truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed, again there it is, to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, the gospel in all its length and breadth and height and depth has been revealed. Those of us who come later on as evangelists, as pastor teachers, simply say, thus saith the Lord. We don't come up with any new further revelations. The foundation has been laid. Our job is to build the superstructure. And so the Apostle Paul speaks here about the fact that these offices or these functions in eldership are there, listen, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. I think it's important that we see the order in which these phrases are put together. Notice that Paul is not saying that their role is to build up the body of Christ and then from there start equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It is as the saints are equipped that the body collectively builds itself up. We shall be seeing that in a few minutes. But it's vital for us to recognize that. That yes, God equips the church with these very clear teaching, preaching gifts. But ultimately, as the church is being equipped, its body life results in growth, in stability, and in an army that consequently sends salt 
and light across the landscape of this earth. So that's where Paul begins with this equipping that the Lord himself does by equipping his preachers and they in turn equip the people of God and through that the church grows. Let's quickly hurry on because as we've already noticed here, there is an equipping and there is a building up. What is the fruit of this? The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that it is an attaining of unity of the faith and the knowledge of the fullness of Christ. Let's read that in verse 13. Verse 13. The, the Apostle Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, in a way, all that the Apostle Paul is saying is this, that the task of those that are thus gifted by Christ as preachers in equipping the saints and bringing them to build the body of Christ is primarily that the people of God may know Jesus Christ. That's it. In the many things I'm about to say in the next few minutes, please don't lose sight of that. It is primarily that individuals may come to the knowledge of the Son of God to the measure of the stature, and there it is again, of the fullness of Christ. Let's break it down a little bit. First of all, you can't miss the fact that this is, to begin with, a doctrinal knowledge. A doctrinal knowledge. When the Apostle Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge. The word faith preceded with the definite article is not so much referring to that instrument in our being that, as it were, receives the knowledge, but it is referring to the knowledge itself, the, the body of truth that we then look at and say, this is Christianity. And so when he says that we all attain to the unity of the faith, he's basically saying that we grow to know what the Christian faith is. It's more than the ABC of salvation. Accept that you are a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior. It's much more than that. The Apostle Paul has just attempted in chapter 1 and chapter 2, bit of it in chapter 3, to open up the, the volume of those truths in small compass. In fact, chapter 1, from about verse 3 all the way to about verse 14, is, is basically one sentence in which the Apostle Paul, like a volcano that has erupted, is bringing out the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Now, what is there in condensed form is really something of the fullness of our salvation. 
as I've already hinted, what he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ that has now been revealed to us. Well, that's our task. That's what results when there is a faithful teaching ministry in the church. It is not so much that we turn church members into worldly philosophers who now know the various teachings of the world about the world. Rather, we are individuals who teach God's people that the whole of Revelation stands on the shoulders of the person and work of Christ. That's our task. So that that becomes their chief desire, that becomes their fullest satisfaction. Christ, Christ, Christ in his person and his work undergirding the whole of life and the whole of creation. Is that what's happening in our churches? That our people are growing up to appreciate Christ in this way. Remember the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians when they were fighting over different teachers. I belong to Apollos and I follow Paul and I follow Cephas and so on. And the Apostle Paul finally says to them, you know, you are thinking like men of the world. There's only one foundation that can be laid and it is this, Jesus Christ. And all of us must now be careful how we build on that foundation. On that foundation. Well, friends, that's basically what we are learning here. That the task of these gifts is to bring all of us to know this Jesus in such a way that mentally we are convinced that all things are built upon the shoulders of the person and work of Christ. But having done that, there is a consequent growth, a consequent maturity. And it is what he refers to here as to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All he's saying there is that knowing about Christ with biblical doctrinal clarity results in an actual sanctification that makes us grow up to be like him. That's what happened. We become like him in, in terms of, for instance, our worship of the living God. That, that all things are about God, his honor, and his glory. To borrow another phrase in the Bible, it is that we become individuals who want to love God with all our hearts, minds, souls and strength. We grow in that. But number two, it is that we, we seek to love others, to love one another, to, to be the means by which God's love flows to others. Again, like Christ. That's the second greatest commandment, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In other words, there is a real growth to be like Jesus that is changing us from the inside out. 
It's transforming us. May I quickly throw in another part, and it is this, that it makes us jealous for the truth of God in Christ Jesus himself. In other words, we become individuals who are so consecrated and committed to the knowledge of God in Christ spreading both in the church and outside, which we shall see in a moment becomes the driving force that turns all of us into that great army that spreads the truth all over the world. But it grows out of this maturing, maturing. Let me try and put it this way. That you can go to the world out there with all their philosophies, and one thing that you will notice about them is that there is a, a dichotomy. There is a division between what they know and how they live. Huh? They may be very good at lecturing about all kinds of philosophies about life, as was the case with the great orators of the Greek Empire. But on the other hand, they are being individuals who are rotting away on the inside by immorality, by corruption, and by every kind of vice. That's the world. There's one place, and that one place stands out head and shoulders above everything else, where that which is taught and that life that is there is welded into one, the Christian church. Why? It's because it's taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changes lives. So you cannot tell me that you are a true teacher of the truths of God as a man when you are a complete failure as a husband to your wife and as a father to your children. You can't. It's going to be seen in your home. Your spouse will be saying, this is a godly man. Your children will be saying, here is a loving father. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will be manifested in you. And that is what will carry through into the life of the church, into the life of the community. And the sooner we realize that, the more we are going to be saved from false teachers. We'll come to that in a moment. Jesus says, you cannot, you cannot have healthy fruit from a bad root. You can't. Ultimately, God changes us completely through his word. But let me hurry on because that's simply touching on to this stature of the fullness of Christ. Once this knowledge is attained and it is developing us on the inside, what is happening first of all is that we stop being vulnerable to deceivers. We stop being vulnerable to deceivers. We are inoculated against spiritual mavericks. Look at the way he puts it in verse 14. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You notice how the Apostle Paul is speaking, first of all, in verse 13, about becoming mature. And inevitably, the opposite of that is no longer being children. No longer being children. One of the characteristics of children is their vulnerability. Their vulnerability. An individual who's always giving out sweets to children, sweets to children, sweets to children, one day will say to that child, come with me, and that child follows that person into a life of danger and destruction. Because of their tendency to, to trust Goodness, where goodness may not be there. So individuals who are cunning, individuals who are crafty, individuals who are deceitful, religiously so, tend to have a great following. Because they are always saying nice promises to you. Always coming up with nice platitudes that tickle their hearers. And before people know it, they are following hard after them. But he that has been trained Upon the gospel in all its breadth and length and height and depth smells trouble. Afar. Somehow notices this isn't sitting well with Christ and his redemptive work somehow notices that Jesus in his person and in his work has been shifted from center position. Something else is coming into this place. It cannot be right. He that has been trained to appreciate the sanctifying work of the Spirit that is built upon the word of the cross smells that something cannot be right when lives that are unsanctified are pointed out now as role models for the people of God. There's something wrong because the remedial work of God by his spirit through the gospel that ought to be realized in the Christian church is amiss here. It cannot be the work of God. And that's what causes those that are being built up in this way to refuse to go that way because it must be Christ or nothing. Let me say it again. It must be Christ or nothing. And oh, brethren, that that would be true of us. That the church militant is spreading only one aroma. 
It is the aroma of Christ. And where we find that other aromas are being built in, we immediately blow what we call in, we call it football back home, you call it soccer, the offside whistle. Sorry, I know very little about American football, so my illustration there gets uh, a little uh, hampered. But some of you laughed, so you got the point. <laughs> In Africa, we are continuing to wrestle with witchcraft that has entered the church through the back door in the name of deliverance. Being delivered from this and delivered from that through some man of God who's reeking with power and uh, what you believe is beside the point. As long as he touches you and you give him the money, then you go home blessed. Where is Christ in all? Out here in the more recent past, you are having all kinds of issues related to human sexuality, race relations, social justice, and on and on and on. I read about this all the time on the internet. Again, here's the point. Where is Christ in all this? Friends, the moment Jesus and his redemptive work is put into one corner and human philosophies come in through the back door. Run for your lives! <laughs> or better still, put up a gallant fight for the crown rights of our Lord Jesus Christ in the church militant. Which brings me to my last point. Because ultimately, Paul's concern here is not merely resistance. It's not merely avoiding being led astray. It is that the Christian church goes forward then in speaking the truth in love to build itself up to, as it was spread the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea and push back the domains of darkness through the light of the gospel. Listen to this, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I won't spend too much time there, but what I want you to notice is how there is growing into him, that is Christ, and then from him growing out in order to be a blessing to the world. Notice that, growing up into him. Rather, speaking the truth in life, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We've already covered that that it's about Christ. We grow in our doctrinal knowledge of him and we grow in his likeness. And then from there, going into the head, from there, you can imagine the human body comes the rest of the information that moves the rest of the body. And there it is again, verse 16, from whom the whole body, 
and if I can jump everything else that is there, builds itself up in love. Let me put it this way to you. That it is as individuals come to repentance and faith in Christ, grow up in their doctrinal knowledge of him, grow up by the work of the Holy Spirit through that same teaching to become more and more like him that they not only change, but they change in their interpersonal relations. Remember, we are now going into chapter 5 of Ephesians, husbands and wives relating, parents and children relating. I hope your minds have already begun to cross over into chapter 6. Workers and those who are over them changing in their relations. Well, what's happening there is that society is being impacted. That's what's happening. As individuals are, first of all, being transformed in this way. I take us back where I began. Christianity is remedial. The fall has taken place. Darkness, corruption, evil, wickedness is in the world. The Christian faith brings light into that darkness. Hope into a world of despair. How? Through the gospel transforming life. And as individuals are being changed, their interpersonal relations are being changed based on the gospel. And as the world seeks to resist that, there's one thing it cannot resist, and it is the testimony and witness of the church militant. That changed community a transformed community based solely on Christ and him crucified. Let me hurry on to close by putting it this way. That Paul ends this letter not with the transformation between relations, but with the fact that there is a real warfare. There is a real devil. There are real principalities, cosmic powers of darkness, spiritual forces of evil. In other words, our role is more than just educational. It's real warfare. Real warfare, brethren. Paul therefore speaks in terms of the need to be fully armed. And he, he uses the language of armory there. But basically he's talking in terms of being in tip-top spiritual condition. So that the Christian church can do its work. And it's on that score that I really want to end my message today that this is not merely about pastors being trained and preaching and then speaking through various media against the darkness. This is about all of us, each one of us, making sure we are imbibing what we are learning. And that as we go out there, we are equipped and we are doing our part in the midst of the fight against spiritual forces. The body of Christ is not just a head. It's an entire body. It's an entire body. 
And the sooner we capture that, the better. The church is not a bus where one person is driving and the rest of us are enjoying a good sleep in the back seat. It's a body, a body, a body. So each one of us needs to realize that I should not be the weakest link in this body, but that I should play my part to grow up in Christ, to know these truths, to make sure I am part of the relevant aspect of the church militant. So that the Christian church can conquer the world. I cannot understand why in a place where the Christian church has been for so many years compared to Africa, that you brethren should be fighting for your own lives now. I can't. If the Christian church, if believers take their Christianity seriously, take what Christ teaches us here, and apply it in every aspect and corner of community and society. I cannot see how the, the citadel of darkness cannot be brought crashing down. Therefore, the challenge is not just in the pulpit, it's also in the pews. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to meditate upon your word with respect to equipping the saints in the truth. Oh Lord, grant that we might go beyond equipping to getting out there and putting a gallant fight for the crown rights of our Lord Jesus Christ in the church militant. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray, by the help of your Spirit. Amen.